0: You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, welcome to episode 727 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host. Brad Rowland, it is Saturday evening into Sunday morning. In fact, it's already Sunday morning as I'm recording this podcast. Back in my home studio, I was in the building this evening for the Hawks getting a 12-point win over the Blazers in a back-to-back sweep for Atlanta over Portland and, of course, Brooklyn on Friday night. If you missed anything from that from that game, I recorded a podcast yesterday, and prior to that, there was a mailbag-driven show with some draft stuff, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. so if you missed those, go ahead and check those out, and also hit the subscribe button. I really appreciate everybody listening to the show, but most of today's show, will be diving into w- what became that victory for the Hawks. A lot of fun along the way for Atlanta. In fact, they were fantastic in the second and third quarters offensively as a preview of what's to come on the show. They were lights out after a little bit of a slow start on both sides of the floor, but a Last a very nice performance for the Hawks and a good win heading into the third game four nights on Monday when they uh, play the Memphis Grizzlies at home. So we'll talk about that game a little bit more later. But heading into this one, the Hawks were actually favored in this spot. And that's a little bit of a surprise. People were surprised by this when I was tweeting it out. Because um, probably the most important um, distinction to make a little bit here was the fact that Portland was on their regular rest and the Hawks running back-to-back. Obviously, a home back-to-back is a little bit easier than one that has to travel because the Hawks got to go home last night in between games. Still, Portland was on their regular rest, but the biggest, of course, domino is the fact that Damian Lillard was unavailable to play for Portland. And I, I know it's a little bit surprising that the Hawks would be, I would say they would be underdogs against Brooklyn, in Las Vegas, and then favored against Portland on a back-to-back, but with uh, this number that kind of jumped out to me, I wanted to pass along to you a little bit before we start uh, diving into the actual game itself. Brooklyn um, was, you know, Brooklyn's not great without Kyrie Irving by any means, but they were about league average, about 500 or so without Kyrie. They had a, a negative 0.4 net rating on the season without Kyrie Irving on the floor. In contrast, Portland, um, you know, has been playing with Damien Lill- without Damian Lillard for a little bit less time than Brooklyn has been without Kyrie Irving, but in the minutes without Ky- uh, sorry, without Dame this season, the Blazers are minus 8.6 per 100 possessions, that is very, very bad, like, you know, probably bottom five in the league, kind of bad, and that kind of illustrates a little bit of the expectations here for the Hawks, because, you know, I know the Hawks were shorthanded in terms of rest in this game compared to Brooklyn, uh, sorry, compared to Portland being on full rest, but, Honestly, if you look at the rosters in this game, this is a rare time when the Hawks just had more talent available and the Hawks were just the better team in this spot coming in. Obviously, Atlanta without Dwayne Debbin and Clint Capella isn't quite as formidable, but in this matchup, the Hawks had you know most of the better players available in this spot and they held serve in that way. Um, early on, it was a little bit of an adventure, but alas, there you go. There was a little bit of an um, uncertainty when it came to the starting lineup in this game because Lloyd Pierce came into his pregame press conference, his typical one, And usually the first question is asked of Lloyd Pierce is the starting lineup, um, particularly on a day when there has not been a shoot-around. But um, Lloyd declined to reveal that lineup. Obviously, if you watch this game, you would know that when the game actually started, the Hawks stuck with the five young guys, including John Collins at center. With Hunter and Reddish and Herder and Young, which was, was not a, not a huge surprise, that lineup worked very well and has been well chronicled by several people, including myself, the last few days. That lineup has been the Hawks' best lineup this season on a on a performance basis. In addition to being obviously the future-facing unit that the Hawks want to see more of, but. Pierce did not name that group um, ever. In fact, the Hawks have to announce starters about 45 minutes before game time actually starts, Um, but in the pregame press conference, he did not name that group, and uh, as a follow-up to him saying that he would not reveal that until a little bit later, I actually asked him, sort of the methodology behind that and what was going into that decision, um, whether it was matchup driven, et cetera, et cetera, and I wanted to play the answer for you because a lot of people were asking me this, especially right after this, while there was still some uncertainty as to why it wouldn't be an obvious choice for the Hawks to start the five young guys, and I totally understand that, but um, I wanted to play the answer for you, so here's what Lloyd Pierce had to say when I asked him about what was going into the thought process behind the lineup.
1: To be honest, the biggest challenge is you don't want to overexpose John at the five. And, you know, his comfort level is at the four and, and I'm mindful of that, um, you know, but sometimes the matchups, you just can't, you can't resist it. You, you can't play big knowing that you're going to have your bigs chasing smalls and, you know, it's, it's, we're still indecisive with, with their matchup, you know, whether John Garth, Carmelo, or if we just keep them on wide side. But you go into a Laker game and you can't afford to go small you know and, and there's different teams that you just can't do it and, and then you walk into a Brooklyn game and it's like why would you even think about going big when Torian's the four and you're trying to chase him around and run him off the three point line and you're moving John out of an area he's been effective in and that's uh, rim protection and being down the floor and rebounding and so it's partly the opponent it's also us we do want to play small um, you know you try and find ways to play that five those five guys together uh, but you know, I think for the sake of our team and also for the sake of John, just trying to balance it out.
0: And as you listen to that, I, th- I think it, w- it would kind of make sense to everyone intuitively that, you know, there's not there's not any big mystery here. The Hawks see John Collins as a long-term power four. He obviously can play center and he will play center at times, but the Hawks went made out went out and uh, got two centers at the deadline, one of which is a starter level player for the future, one of which is sort of a stopgap option that the Hawks so- certainly like in Deadman, But that kind of speaks to all that, um, you know, We'll see what happens in the future, but that ultimately in this game they chose to go with the small lineup, and uh, we'll see what they do on Monday. against Memphis, but I wanted to play that a little bit of a, of a behind the curtain insight into what Pierce was thinking. But okay, we'll dive into the game now. As as I said before, the Hawks were favored in this game, and uh, they helped that they sort of held serve in that in that respect at the outset. Um, the one. Positive. I would say there's more than, one, more than one positive, but one of the positive subplots to starting the five young guys that you have Cam Reddish on the floor at the outset, and Reddish is the best defender on the perimeter on the team right now, and having him to guard CJ C- 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 McCollum was probably a positive takeaway here. McCollum, was uh, productive in this game. He had 35 points, but a lot of that was a little bit later in the game. Uh, I thought Reddish did a pretty good job on him until he was actually forced to the bench. We'll talk about that a little bit more later, that Reddish actually did not play much in the fourth quarter uh, due to an injury. But um, I think that was a pretty good idea in terms of just having that top tier defender to guard McCollum from the outset. It did seem like Portland was actively trying to force things to the rim in the early going. Uh, they obviously had that, you know, Whiteside's a massive human being. I don't really love Whiteside as a player, but he's certainly productive and very, very large. And they went at the Hawks a little bit on the interior with some mixed results, I would say, in the early going. I will say this the first, what's called eight minutes of the first quarter were pretty hard to watch on both ends. It was pretty much a hideous start to this basketball game. You could tell the Hawks went back-to-back. Portland was just kind of bad in their own right. Um, For the Hawks, offensively, Kevin Herter had two of his worst misses I've ever seen him have in about a a five-minute span. The first one was jarring in itself, then he passed on a wide-open three that was, that was a surprise to me that uh, it was kind of a double-take kind of moment. And then his next attempt was equally as bad as the first one. I kind of couldn't believe it. We were kind of laughing and kind of befuddled on, on media row about Kevin's mishaps there. Unfortunately, it was a little bit more lighthearted because he was actually able to bounce back and make three of his next five in the game. But a couple of hilariously bad misses from Herter in the early going. Also, DeAndre Hunter had an airball in the first few minutes. The Hawks had three airballs in the first five minutes, and they actually had four airballs in the first 16 minutes of this game. Just a lot of uh, weirdness there, I would say, and some sloppy overall play on both ends of the floor. The Hawks were pretty lucky to only be down by one at the first time out, and actually Terry Stotts got a technical foul of the Blazers' head coach. So the game was actually tied coming out of that, I would say it kept going in terms of bad play for the Hawks, including the the fact that they actually trailed by nine points in the first quarter after an eleven to two run by Portland. That was Atlanta's one real deficit of this of this game. Um and at, at that point in time they were four fifteen from the floor and scoring about .7 points per possession, that's very bad. They had 13 points in the first eight minutes. So if you see the scoreboard now at 1 at 129 at the end of the game, you would assume that the Hawks were lights out offensively, and they were, but they got a late start. Um, honestly, that kind of tells you how good the Hawks were in the last 40 minutes. The first eight minutes were pretty ugly, and uh, the Hawks felt... I would say pretty fortunate to only be down by five at the end of the first quarter. Um, Atlanta's starts have still been pretty bad. Even even on Friday, they lost the first quarter. On Saturday, they lost the first quarter. So at some point along the way, the Hawks are going to have to start a game. Well, they had not done that for a while now. But alas, they bounced back in a big way. Um, and also a big three for Vince Carter at the end of the first quarter. Is sort of, uh, I would say, engineer some momentum going into the second. The defense was actually pretty competitive. The offense was not. Um, but fortunately, the middle two quarters of this game, the Hawks were just incredibly good. Offensively, That kind of goes without saying when you look at the numbers, but it was just so impressive to watch them operate. And Portland's a bad defensive team, make no mistake, but the Hawks still had to play well, take advantage of it. Uh, a much better start to the second quarter. They trailed by eight, but cut it all the way down to one um, on a nice steal and a pull-up three from Herter. He actually made two in a row after his initial badness early on in the game. The Hawks played a pretty shallow rotation for most of the first half, and Damian Jones made an appearance after a DNP on Friday night. Part of that was that Bruno Fernando got three fouls, in his first five minutes of court time. Not great there. And they actually saved Travion Graham until about three minutes left in the first half. But Graham ended up being a big story in this game. He actually played great. Um Obviously, it's not sustainable, but he was 5-5 from the floor, and he was fantastic in this game. Uh, he was, and, and for the Hawks, they played every single available player in the first half, um, kind of leaning more on the depth. And Lloyd Pierce talked about that after the game. That was sort of the plan coming in. They want to focus more on the depth at this point in time, and that allowed them to... Um, succeed a little bit in this game. The Hawks eventually went up by 7 points on a 3 by Hunter and free throws by Troy Young at that 3-minute three, three mark of the first half. They scored 32 points in just over 9 minutes to open, a second, to open the second quarter. They slowly pushed the lead up all the way to 10 before McCollum hit a 3 at the end of the half to cut the lead to 7, but still the Hawks go, go, the Hawks go from down 5 to up 7 with a 40-point second quarter. Um, In that period, the Hawks shot 57% from the floor and 6 of 11 from 3 on the way to those 40 points. Trey Young had 10 and 8 in the first half, 10 for Herter, 11 for Hunter, and 9 for Collins. Very balanced scoring and a 124 offensive rating, which is amazing considering how bad the start was for the Hawks to go into the uh, halftime break at 1, 1.24 points per possession. So, um, obviously, the, the script was already kind of flipped at that point in time, um, but we'll go more into that as we get into the third quarter and beyond. But uh, before we get to that, let's take a quick break now. We'll come right back with, with the second half and some individual stuff from this game. All right, and we're back with the third quarter and beyond in the third quarter. Uh, a pretty pretty obviously a positive one for Atlanta with 44 points, spoiler alert. Um, they scored 84 points in those middle two quarters. Um, in the early going of the third quarter, though, it was, Deandre, it was the DeAndre Hunter show. He had eight of the first ten points on a three, a couple of uh, layups and a three-point play. He was really, really good early on. The Hawks scored 21 points in the first five minutes of the third quarter. They were red-hot offensively. There were two just super high-level passes from Trae Young that led to baskets. He's fantastic with the ball in his hands, obviously. And the Hawks went into a timeout. Up by 13 points, so uh, a huge swing from uh, in about a quarter and a quarter. So, you know, 16 minutes or so. The Hawks went from down 5 to up 13. After that timeout, Trey came out and hit a 3-go-up by 16. And after a stop, the next possession, uh, there was some uh, histrionics, I would say. uh, The only controversy of the night. Trey Young went to nutmeg Trevor Reason in his trademark fashion. Trey's been able to get that move off over a lot of guys this season. Ariza, um, instead of just kind of taking his L on this one, elected to, to kind of forearm shiver uh, Young and knock him down. At least not knock him down, but at least knock him back um, to break it up and stop it. Pleasantries were exchanged at that point in time. Trey was obviously a little bit not happy about that with good reason. Uh, and then uh, Ariza kind of just uh, went back at him after an official review Ariza was granted a flagrant one foul. That was the right decision. It was clearly a flagrant move from Trevor Ariza to go ahead and do do that on Trey Young. And obviously, there's some frustration there as the lead was growing for the Hawks, I would imagine. Um, Young then makes both free throws to go up by 18 points and then hits a floater because he got the ball back, of course, on the flagrant foul to go up by 20. So he, he scores four points in a row, really seven points in a row after the three that he hit before that. And then, uh, as the floater is in the air, he kind of does this, like, pose thing. And uh, I'm not sure what happened in terms of what was actually called, but he was called for a technical foul right after that for taunting. Lloyd Pierce actually got asked about that after the game and said uh, all he said was taunting. He kind of laughed about it and smiled about it. But uh, that was what he was told the technical foul was for. So, all that all that said, no big deal here. Trey was fine. Um, obviously, uh, Ariza getting the player foul there. And uh, there was a Fox Sports Southeast um, camera capture of those guys kind of uh, seemingly okay after the game, talking and shaking hands and all that stuff, so uh, no long-term drama here, but um, yeah, kind of a weird moment, and Trey got the best of that one, obviously, with the fact that he was scoring seven points in a row, and uh, the Blazers were clearly rattled at that point in time. Um, From that point forward, Uh, Still a lot of Hawks, obviously, in the third. The Hawks uh, did get the lead cut down to 12 at one point in the third period, but Travion Graham um, had his nice moment there, had nine points on his first four four shooting possessions and actually continued from there. The Hawks went up by 18 with about four minutes to go. It went down to 12, but then got got back up to 17 after the third quarter after a couple of uh, shaky moments, a couple turnovers from Bruno Fernando, dropping some passes, but a nice stretch from Kevin Herter to kind of stabilize things there. And uh, a productive third quarter for John Collins. He had 12 points in the third. Tree Young had 10 in the third. And the, sh- and the Hawks shot 73% from the floor. Yes, you heard that right. 73% from the floor in the third quarter. And uh, in totality, in the second and third quarters of the game, so, you know, the half the game that's in the middle, the Hawks shot 64% from the floor and 11 of 21 from three with 21 assists on the way to 84 points in 24 minutes that is ridiculous obviously so for the full game that would have been 22 threes 42 assists and 168 points um that's obviously not going to happen necessarily but um just kind of goes to show how good they were in that 24 minute span in second and third quarters and the Hawks uh, had a 1.3 offensive rating heading out of the third quarter and at that point in time it probably should have been over it actually wasn't there was a, there was a brief moment in the fourth where it was a little bit tight when the league got, when the league got down all the way to 10 in fact, that was after a timeout from from Pierce um, that led. Um, at, it was actually at twelve at that point. They called timeout. and The Hawks turned it over, and Portland gets a dunk, and suddenly it's ten. And it was a little bit shaky. There's about five minutes to go at that point. The Hawks are still major favorites in that in that spot, but the lead was kind of slipping a little bit away a little bit there. Um, but on cue, there when it was down to ten. Back to back threes from from uh from DeAndre Hunter and John Collins on back to back possessions to go from ten up to sixteen with three minutes to go. And that was kind of the dagger from that point forward. Um Portland was not really a striking distance again, and uh, there you go on that. The only, the only other thing from the fourth quarter that was not um great was the fact that Cam Reddish left the game at the ten minute mark. Um he had been limping a little bit, if you look at it on the on the monitor. I was in the building, so it was a little bit tough to tell. But watching the game back a little bit, you could tell a little bit that he was not necessarily uh, at full strength when he came out of the game at the 10-minute mark. But I didn't notice that he wasn't back in the game until about the 5-minute mark. There was a timeout, and I'm looking down, and I'm thinking, well, Cam's been out for about 5 minutes now. It's time for him to come back in. And they came out of that timeout without him on the floor, and I even tweeted it. I said, well, it's unless there's an injury, I can't imagine why Cam wouldn't be in the game here. And then within, within about 2 minutes of real time after that, the Hawks announced that he was going to miss the rest of the game with low back pain. Um, so you know not great that you don't want to hear that he's been playing his best basketball of his career obviously the last few weeks um but it looks like it's not going to be a, a huge big deal for the hawks Pierce talked about getting Reddish to play at full speed in workouts. He was kind of, I actually asked him about that. I was the one that asked in the post game, and Lloyd uh, was kind of smiling about it. So it seemed like it wasn't a big deal at all, but um, he made a comment about how they were trying to get Reddish to play full speed in and workouts and not, and not just in games. I'm not sure if he was blaming that or not. It was kind of an odd answer from Lloyd, frankly, um, but he was pretty upbeat about Reddish's uh, situation post game. It did not seem like the back injury was a real concern for them. We'll see how it responds, obviously, on uh, Sunday and Monday. But uh, he did say the team was giving him grief about it in terms of reddish. So uh, it seemed positive. You know, the Hawks just only announced that he, that he had low back pain. And Pierce did describe it as, quote, tightness, end quote. So I'm not sure that's anything real significant. But we'll keep an eye on that, obviously, in the future. That was the only sort of black mark in the fourth quarter. Um, the Hawks took care of business. And there you go on that. So at the end of the game... You won by 12, that felt like about the right result, honestly, and Atlanta's offensive numbers took a little bit of a hit down the stretch because they weren't so good in the fourth quarter, but uh, we kind of know better given the way they played before that. And even then, offensively for the full game, the numbers are fantastic. 55% from the floor, 43% from three, 18 of 42. They got to the line 22 times, made 19 of them for 86%. On that, a season-high 34 assists for the Hawks. They were moving the ball around in a pretty impressive fashion. Uh, 19 turnovers is probably a little bit too many, but you can't complain too much when it, comes, when, it, when it comes along with 34 assists. And the Hawks scored at a rate of 1.22 points per possession. That's an elite figure. That will work, obviously. And Atlanta's true shooting was 69%, very nice, obviously, in this game. So, uh, yeah, the Hawks played incredible on, off- on, on offense. Um, they had some help from Portland. That's That has to be said out loud. If you look at the, at the personnel that the Blazers were using in this game... Uh, not the best defensive team in the world, I will say. But still, the Hawks took advantage of that. They played well, and they uh, did what they had to do offensively. Defensively, it was a little bit of a mixed bag, but still, I would say generally okay defensively. Um, a 111 defensive rating is not fantastic against a team that in Portland that's not had their best player in Dame Lillard. And McCollum got a little bit loose at times, but I thought the Hawks did a pretty credible job. They held guys like Carmelo Anthony down. Trevor Reason missed some, missed some open shots, but still was held down for the most part. And the Hawks did more than enough defensively to hold on for this win. I thought it was uh, you know worth pointing out that they were not lights out defensively, but they were pretty good and uh, definitely enough to get the victory. Um... Zooming out a little bit here, the Hawks are now eight and two in their last ten games at home. That's a pretty impressive run. The schedule's not been terribly difficult during that stretch, but they, they still beat Miami, for instance. They beat, they, they beat Dallas, albeit shorthanded. They're taking care of business a little bit at home. Eight and two is pretty uh, strong. They're, they're not up to thirteen and eighteen at home this season. That's a respectable figure for this team. And uh, obviously they're 11 and 11 now in the last 22 games, so playing more like a, more like that 500 team that many people envisioned. Um, the schedule is definitely helping, and as I said before, I, I think I tweeted this a couple times in the last couple weeks. The Hawks still have the had the easiest remaining schedule in the entire NBA, so if you factor that in with, with how they're playing better basketball, the the wins should be coming at a more rapid rate than they were before. Um, to the individual stuff in this game, the bench was interesting, and I thought a couple guys played legitimately well. In this spot, the two guys that did not play a whole lot, Damian Jones, six minutes. Brandon Goodwin, six minutes. Those guys didn't do too much to uh, point out here. But Damian was actually plus 10, kind of funny. He's usually uh, one of the worst guys in plus minus this season. He actually has the worst um, net rating on the team of guys who are still on the team. But uh, Damian was not bad in his uh, limited time in this game. Same same with Brandon Goodwin. I thought he, I thought he did a pretty decent job, although nothing uh, terribly not- noteworthy to point out at this point in time. Vince Carter played more than usual. Um, In fact, the Hawks went with Vince in uh, what would only be described as crunch time if you were trying to squint a little bit. But when uh, the game was at 10 and the Hawks came out of that break without Cam Reddish, it was Vince on the floor instead of other guys and other options. I was okay with that for the most part. I think I probably would have gone with Graham, frankly. But uh, Lloyd Pierce always trusts Vince Carter as his sort of de facto guy in those spots when you have an injury or something like that. And Vince was okay. He, he made a couple plays. He made 1-3. He was 1-5 of from the floor. Had four rebounds, though. Had two steals. Was pretty active. I thought he did a decent job in this spot. Um, elsewhere on the bench, Jeff Teague, 17 minutes of pretty, you know, I would say middling, but decent enough basketball. Three points, three assists, two rebounds. Jeff three turnovers. That's probably too many for him. But uh, nothing terrible there from Jeff. And then Bruno Fernando, 5-5 five, of five from the floor. 11 points, two rebounds, an assist, and a blocked shot. He had a couple of bad dropped passes. In this game that kind of led to turnovers, but other than that, I thought Bruno was okay. I think he was better on Friday than he was on Saturday, but um, 5-5 is helpful, of course, and I thought he was okay off the bench um the headliner on the bench was Travion Graham five of five from the floor two of two from three this is only free throw attempt but other than that he was perfect shooting um from the actual uh live basketball portion um and 12 points two rebounds and assist and a steal Graham's defense is always good so I wasn't I wasn't worried about that at all I thought he did a good job a good job in the zone on Friday night I thought he did a pretty good job in this game as well the offense is definitely a bonus for Travion but he makes all five shots here and uh, they weren't small shots. They made a couple. He made a couple of uh, pretty impactful ones when the game was still on the balance. And uh, shots to Travion Graham, who I thought played very well in this game. Um, as, as for the starters, they were all productive. Cam Reddish had the, uh, had the least shiny offensive night. After the huge career best night on Friday night, Cam fell back to earth a little bit in this spot with eight points on three of nine shooting, on two of five from three, uh, three, three, three rebounds and two assists. But I thought he was okay. It wasn't like he was bad offensively. He had, I think, one or two moments that I thought were uh, not Fantastic offensively. couple of uh, there was one forced drive that he probably he, he probably want back, and there was one um, sort of off balance, not squared up three that he probably want, that, he, that he'll probably want to remove from his arsenal. But those two shots, it's okay. I mean, I'm fine with him playing with confidence. That's not been a problem for him uh, this season in general. That's something Lloyd Pierce always says: is that Cam's always been confident. But you could tell when he's got it going, it's sort of a different different level of confidence. But I thought he played well in this game defensively. He was actually a game best plus sixteen in his 24 minutes. So. There you go. I thought Cam was okay and as long as the injury is not a is not a lingering one, uh, still a pretty good night for Cam Reddish. The other four guys scored 19 points or more. Kevin Herter had 19 points, 8 assists, three steals and a block shot. Um I will say this, after Kevin uh, airballed those two threes in the first quarter, after the second one, he had a great block shot in transition right after that. So, at least he didn't let it get uh, sort of get in his head and and sulk. He's, he certainly could have after the second one it was a bad miss, but he uh, he got back and made a play. And that was his one block shot of the night. But I thought Kevin played very well after the two misses. 6-10 from the floor, 3-7 of from 3, 4-4 from the free throw line. A nice, well-rounded quality game from Herter. Um, DeAndre Hunter played well. Lloyd Pierce praised him quite a bit in the post Uh There was this, um, and in fact it was something that Lloyd even mentioned, Hunter had a lot of trouble early on in the season playing back-to-backs. Um, he was not alone because the Hawks have been terrible on back-to-backs this year. Until tonight, obviously. Um, but Hunter... Uh, the first thing, actually, when Lloyd Pierce sat down for postgame, the first thing he said in sort of his opening statement was that uh, was, quote, I, I think someone like D-Hunt can suddenly play in back-to-backs or something like that. He made it, He made sort of a quip about Hunter. He was laughing about it. But uh, Hunter was very good in this game. 22 points, 4 rebounds, 8 of 12 from the floor, 6 of 9 from 3. Lights out there from DeAndre. And uh, I thought he played well on both ends of the floor. So good to see him sort of stringing a couple games together of, of positive play. Um and then, of course, the two headliners at the end here. John Collins continues to just be ridiculously good. 24 points, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks, a steal, and 4 assists. 9 of 14 from the floor, 3 of 5 from 3, and 3 of 3 from the free throw line. Um, this is with a hat tip to Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com and the ATL on 29 podcast, a good friend of mine. But um, Kevin was tweeting about John's numbers post game, and they're just... Off the charts. I know I said this a little bit yesterday on the podcast, if you missed it, I went on like a two-minute um, sort of soliloquy about John's ridiculous offensive performance this year. But to put it in context here, a 64% shooting on two-point shots this year, 40% on threes, and 81% on free throws. That is just, you know, out of this world good. There are only a few guys in NBA history that can really, uh, you know, claim that for full seasons. Obviously, John missed a bunch of time. Uh, so the sample size is a little bit smaller than you would like to uh, talk about in late February, early March. But the fact that he's just been this consistent and this good offensively is uh, worth pointing out over and over again. He was really good in this game as well. Trey Young, actually, it's kind of funny. Um, we were joking about this a little bit after the game. Back-to-back games now where um, Lloyd Pierce or, and/or Trey Young gotten questions about you know Trey not scoring as much in the last two games, but leading leading the team in assists with 14 on Friday and then 15 tonight. And it's kind of funny to think about this, but um, Trey not scoring as much was 22 on Friday and 25 on Saturday. So. He's still scoring, um, he just hasn't been like as efficient as normal, in fact, we're now at three straight games where Trey has not been particularly efficient, and if you want to go back on three-point range, it's four straight games. So, if you want to be, um, you know, I think he was probably due for a little bit of regression on three-point shooting, he had been so hot for so long, but in the last four games, Trey is doing the math in my head right now, he is 8 of, I believe, 37 from 3 in the last four games, that's 21.6%, so he was probably due for a little bit of a downturn that's obviously not you know, he's going he's a better shooter than that but um, other than that, he was still good in this game. The fact, um, the, the three point shot was not that he was one of eight from three, uh, but still, you know, six of 10 on twos. That's more than, that's more than good enough. And 10 of 10 from the free throw line. So he managed to maintain his efficiency despite the uh, three point shooting questions, but at 15 assists, two turnovers, that speaks for itself. His passing is always good, but he had two, three, four, you know, high end passes that kind of just make plays. And he just was in a good spirit of moving the ball around defensively. There were some nice moments from Trey along the way. It wasn't quite as good. I don't think in this game as he was on Friday but still probably average or better where he normally is. So, you know, you won't like come away ridiculously, you know, crying about his uh, crying good in a good way. I would say about his through, about his scoring in this game with 25, but if that's going to be a below average scoring game for you, that kind of tells you how good Trey Young is. And if 15 assists speak for themselves. So, you know, if you can get that kind of performance out of these guys on a nightly basis, you will take it. Obviously, the starters have been, it's been very balanced in scoring and really everything the last in both of these games. Um, and to win, you know, two games in a row without an absolute explosion from Trey, offensively, unless it's a score, is uh, new territory for the Hawks. Because, uh, you know, famously on Friday night, I'm not sure if I said this on the podcast yesterday or not, but it was the first time all season long that the Hawks have won a game of any kind when Trey did not have more than 24 points so you know they've needed him to explode to win games this season and uh having two, have two having two wins in a row when he, when he didn't necessarily do that is uh, pretty encouraging and pretty telling of how well the other guys played alongside him even if even I, I would definitely contend that he still played well in those games just didn't shoot it all that well so all that to say the Hawks have a chance on Monday night to win a third straight game it would be the first time this season and I'm not sure they'll be favored over Memphis in that game, but considering Memphis is going to be without Jaron Jackson and maybe even Brendan Clark as well, um, the Grizzlies are not going to be their same playoff-bound selves. And I, I will say this, Memphis is currently, I think, still the 8th seed at this moment. They're not playing like it anymore. Um, that's not a shot at them by any means. But the Grizzlies have been a little bit more human recently, and uh, yeah, we'll see how that how, how that game shakes out. But they did win tonight um, over the Lakers. That was a little bit of a surprising result at home but the, um, you know, Obviously the headline matchup will be John Morant and Trey Young. That'll be one that everyone's wanting to see for quite some time. And the Hawks and the Grizzlies actually play twice within a week. They play uh Monday and then they play Saturday in Memphis. So uh circle that one. We'll have plenty of coverage on that game when it comes on Monday night. But uh the Hawks will be looking for a th- for a third straight win. And in general, Atlanta's just playing good basketball right now. I mean, the schedule is what it is, and it's been it's pretty well documented. And I've said this by the way, since before the season even started, I kind of called the tra- the trajectory of the season. The only thing that no one could have projected was the John Collins suspension. But other than that, it was like, all right, the Hawks might struggle early on because uh, the schedule is pretty brutal, and they're going to get better at this, uh, better as they get older and as the schedule lightens. And that's been happening. Now, you know, 11-11 in the last 22 games, that's you know very solid. And eight and two in the last 10 home games is just worth pointing out again. That's very good. That's as good as you know most teams would be. Even good teams don't go eight and two and 10 uh, game home stretches. So. Nice job by the Hawks there to bounce back. And in uh, in two games, they scored 270 points. That is pretty impressive. Okay, please subscribe to the podcast. That's probably all we're going to do for this evening. But a nice win for the Hawks. We'll talk more about this stuff in the future. I do not have a show planned for between now and Monday unless something crazy happens. um, Because the Hawks do not play from Monday until Friday. So I have at least one guest, hoping hoping for two guests lined up in between those two games. But uh, if nothing else, we'll have a new pod after the game on, on Monday evening. So please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. And we'll see everybody at the very latest on Monday evening.